This is, uh, I feel like an airplane pilot. <laughs> Jim has made a vow he would not wear this. No. <laughs> uh, lost my place. Okay, airplane pilot. Oh, yes, okay. I wanted you to remember me in prayer. This is the uh, first message of the year. I haven't preached since last November. And it's just the start of like a run into the year because I'll be in Minneapolis at the end of this month. In February, I'll be in Ohio. In March, I'll be in Russia and Ukraine. April, I'll be in Ukraine and Georgia, Republic of Georgia. And it just continues like that. So do pray for me. I kind of look at my schedule and I get overamped, and there's so much communication that has to relate to that to set things up, so I'm behind on that already. Um, I wanted to do a PowerPoint presentation, I wanted to be up on that, you know, and I was talking to Bill and he was showing me some things, and I was working on it, and I'm still not there, so I'm trying, but uh, I was able to get probably some of the most important things on PowerPoint. No, don't do that. You get me crying. <laughs> uh, that's Caleb Axel, right? The newest right, my first grandchild. And uh, December 10th, uh, seven pounds, five ounces. What do you think? Pretty good. Okay. We won't stay long in here, okay? <laughs> This is the big, you know, ornery, mean special forces guy just turned to mush. I mean, look at that. He is the doting father. Go ahead. That's Tanya. That's Grandma. Uh, okay, so uh, if you uh, want more photos, just see my wife and I, and we'll burn you a CD, <laughs> about 20, 30 photos, but uh, we were excited. This kid is just so cute and so sweet. Great, great mix of both families. Uh, her parents were with them over Christmas, and we were just with them recently, so we had a, a fabulous time. Amen. At the beginning of this year, I sent a uh, prayer text to 50-some young people that I relate to in some form of discipleship. And I meet with these kids when I'm in the area. You know, some are in New Hampshire, some are in Ohio, uh, different areas of the country. And we put them together and I send them a verse a day. I pray, send them a verse a day. I send them salient quotes Sometimes prayer requests, I get feedback from them. I just got feedback from a guy in um, North Carolina. He's in a Christian community there. He's 18 years old. He said, Gordon, you don't know what these verses mean. He said, I send it on to nine other people, and one of those nine sends it on to others. And I'm thinking, this is, you know, it started out as something for my kids just to make sure they were getting the word each day. And I have an unlimited text plan. <laughs> And so I sent this out on New Year's Day, and I just wanted to read it to you. It says, let us pray 
that the year 2010 would be a year of glorifying God and making His presence known to all those around us. A year of breaking strongholds and removing obstacles to His grace and power being manifest more fully in our lives and ministries. And that really started working on me. I really felt it was a prophetic prayer. I got a lot of feedback on that. But I started praying about it, and I really felt like the Lord had, in fact, given me a word for the year. And that was that He wanted to break strongholds and remove obstacles to receiving His power and presence. And I felt it was specific. Now, what that means to me is that God is giving grace for that to happen this year. He really wants to break strongholds in our lives. Things that we've given place to over a period of time where the enemy has actually come in and built a stronghold. To remove obstacles. That might be habits, different things. To be able to receive his power and his presence. Now, to do that, regardless of the grace given, there has to be a yieldedness and an obedience and a response to that grace. That when he comes in with grace to repent, we repent. And we move away from that thing. And there's a lot of things, and I'm thinking of a couple in particular, that it isn't an issue of tapering off. It's cold turkey. You grab God's grace, and you hang on, and you get through it, and you receive power in the midst of it. And this is a year God wants to do that. He may speak individually to people about that. In regard to that, Something that the Lord has been working with me in, especially because of the increased stress level of all these things that have happened in our ministry, just the acceleration and the demands, and a lot more administration. I'm administrating almost all the global assistance partners work in Ukraine, along with Professor Don Vance, who's our dean of education. He's an ORU professor. Just a lot of things. And that is that we would abide in the presence of the Lord. And what does it mean to abide in the presence of the Lord? You know, how, how do we do that? And what are the results of abiding in the presence of the Lord? It really is a pivotal uh, message and pivotal to, to our walk because we tend to pop in and out. God wants us to abide in the presence of the Lord. Number one, how do we abide in the presence of the Lord? Number two, what are the results of abiding in His presence? Okay, number one, how do we abide? 1 John 2, 24. Go through some verses here. 1 John 2, 24. Some of these will be familiar. Some of them will be new verses. You might want to write them down. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Now, I immediately think back over uh, 30... 37 years of teaching, sitting under teaching here at TCF, sitting under uh, Jim Garrett, the other brothers who serve us now, uh, Chuck Farah. You know, I still, you know, I still come up with things Chuck imparted into me. Bill Sanders, um, the many men of God who moved through this fellowship, okay, tested and proven good theology. If you, if that which you heard from the beginning abides in you then you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. To walk in what God's given you, do not let it go. If you abide in the Word, if you abide in the teachings of the Lord, you will abide 
in his presence. We're going to talk about what this word abide means because it's a very active, it's an active word, okay? To abide is not only hearing, but doing, putting into practice. John 15, 9 through 10. As my Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And we see clearly that the love of God is his presence, and actually these come in in parallel verses. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, to keep his commandments, to put into practice what we hear and what we read. And we know the verse, but I'm going to say it and share it with you anyway, to be doers of the word of God and not hearers only, James 1, through 25. We are to be doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes, he goes away, he forgets what kind of man he was. The last part is very clear. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And I think that's the key issue of discipline. We're forgetful hearers. I don't know how many times I've said, Lord, right? I I remember now. I just, you know, we're forgetful hearers. And put it into practice. Make a habit of those things that God has sown in your heart. I think especially some of the disciplines of the faith. Um, I've gotten into a thing. I mean, this is just me, but when I get up in the morning, I desire the Word of God more than my necessary food. And the first thing that's a temptation is the newspaper, the funnies, which is the best part. And I say, no, I get into my devotions, I have a cup of coffee, then I eat. I mean, it's just a simple thing, but it forces me into a habit, okay? John eight thirty one through 32, just the first part. We're going to touch the second part after a bit. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You are disciples if you are doing the word of God. Reading, hearing, and doing the word of God. What else is necessary to abide in God's presence? Look at Leviticus 22, verse 3. 22, verse 3. And I think this is really uh, uh, the issue of uh, breaking strongholds and removing obstacles. Say to them, whoever of your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicated to the Lord, while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Now in this particular issue, he was dealing with physical things. You you touch a dead body, different things. But in a spiritual application, you can clearly see that to handle the holy things, to enter into the holy things, to enter into the presence of the Lord, we need to be clean spiritually. We need to be clean. Stay clean before God. Uh, Psalm 24, 3 through 5. There's a whole teaching on this verse. This is, this is great. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And and we can break this down by category. I mean, it's dealing with specific things, but we can break it down by category. Number one, clean hands. 
Number two, a pure heart. Number three, to not lift up your soul to an idol. Okay? And we can think about, you know, we're not dealing with classic idols. We're dealing with different issues in our lives that have become idols. Number four, to not swear deceitfully. Okay, we're talking about uh, the words of our mouth, either falsehood or whatever. But here's how I broke this down. I don't think this is a stretch. Number one, clean hands. That's your actions. That which you do. Number two, a pure heart. Motives. The purpose behind those actions and those words. Number three, and I really don't think this is a stretch because it is said that that which possesses your thoughts is what you worship. That's why I have to be careful about allowing something to become an obsession, something even you want, you know. I mean, I'll be sitting here, you know, every once in a while I'm thinking about the football game today. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys are playing, you know, but I'm preaching. <laughs> You've got to be careful about your thoughts, okay? Someone, someone once said, sorry, I put that in your thoughts. That which possesses your thoughts is what you worship. It becomes an idol. So I would say, to not lift up your soul to an idol, controlling your thought life, thoughts. Number four, to not swear deceitfully has to do with words we speak. Okay, without too much of a stretch, I think we've got some categories here of examining ourselves and allowing God to bring conviction and repentance. Okay, number one, actions. Number two, motives. Number three, thoughts. Number four, words. And I believe those are the things that can cut you off or move you out of the presence of the Lord. To abide in the presence of the Lord, we need to walk in a spirit of repentance. And really, that's what a true spirit of humility is, is realizing that we are no longer sinners, but we do sin. And we have to walk in humility and in repentance. Uh, I did a message years ago called Short Accounts and Full Disclosure, and it was on repentance. Uh, Short accounts means to repent quickly. Don't wait. You know, if, if God pricks something as gently as possible, you, you grab hold of that because that's part of God's grace. That's a gift. You don't want to let that go, even if it's painful. You grab hold of that. Short accounts. The other is full disclosure, to be specific and complete. And I've said before, if you want uh, forgiveness from specific sin, you need to confess specific sin. And I've, I've probably said this before, too, because it's a good thing. Lord, Forgive me, I'm a sinner. He goes, yeah, I know. What is it? Tell me what it is. You know, it's hard to say out loud specific sin. Even by yourself in your prayer. You don't even want to hear it. You don't even want to hear it. You try to get it out. And once you get it out, you go, oh, God, it's horrible. You know? But this is, this is the issue of brokenness and true repentance is to confess specific sin. Uh, I wrote a booklet called The Gift of Repentance, and it addresses this. Let me just... Uh, Read a small portion of it. This is in the area of confession. This really struck me because at the time I was writing this, uh, there was a number of leaders who had fallen into sin. And, uh, you know, they weren't going to let it be known or something. I mean, you know, basically confessing sin disarms the enemy. It's like somebody comes up, hey, do you know about sin? Oh, yeah, he already confessed. I know that. Okay. How broad should our confession be? First, we need to give a full, specific confession of our transgressions to the Lord. We should then go to those who've been involved or affected by the sin and again make a specific confession of our responsibility in the area transgressed. When involving leadership, 
The more public ministry, the more public the confession should be. This confession not only releases God's grace into the situation, but it also disarms the enemy's accusations. When the light of truth resides, there is no place for the darkness and deception of the enemy. It's a safeguard. It's a safeguard against sin. It's a safeguard against bondage. It's a safeguard against uh, accusation. I have uh, a few of these. And first one's up, get to get them. Wait, don't, not, not now. One John one nine through ten, and again these are verses that are well known to us. It's good we hear them again. One John one nine through ten. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to remove anything that disturbs or hinders our abiding in the presence of the Lord. This is primary, and sin hinders our abiding in the presence. Of the Lord. So as we walk in a spirit of repentance, it's more easy to abide and walk in His presence. Uh, D.L. Moody once said, anything that interrupts our communion with God, anything that hinders the progress of our spiritual life, and, and, and that does not necessarily mean it's overt sin. In fact, some people would say, what's wrong with that? That's a, there's nothing wrong with that, probably because they like to do it too, whatever it is. But see, for you, it interrupts your communion with God. It hinders the progress of your spiritual life. I've been reading Sherlock Holmes. I enjoy Sherlock Holmes. They were on sale. Two big volumes, $7.99 apiece. Amazing. Just thoroughly enjoy it. And as I approached this message, the Lord said, no more Sherlock Holmes. You know? I mean, I was thinking about the next, reading the next Sherlock Holmes. I just, anytime I sat down, I grabbed that book. You know, things can get in. There's nothing wrong with that. When this is over, today I may read Sherlock <laughs> But you know, God speaks to you about certain things that seem innocuous, which actually can hinder your spiritual life or hinder your communion with God in that particular circumstance. Um, I remember the Lord spoke to me one time when I was traveling because I have a DVD player, and uh, he said, no movies in the war zone. You know, Basically, when I'm out and in that fray, I'm, I'm not allowed to watch any movies. You know, So I try to pig out on the plane over. No, no, but anyway... You know, this is something I like. But these are issues that God can speak personally to you. Things that interrupt your communion with God. That chills our affection for Christ. Anything that does that, we ought to give up. Talks later about how if we do that, he will give you something greater in return. Oswald Chambers went so far as to say if there's a question as to whether anything is right or wrong, away with it. The question alone, alone arises. Uh, causes something uh, to arise within you, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. Whether it's right or wrong, away with it. We need to be willing to sacrifice anything that is questionable for the sake of abiding in God's presence. Psalm 140, 13, and verse 1 of 141 says, Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. So uprightness, to dwell in the presence of the Lord. Uh, what are some practical things that we can do to help us abide uh, in God's presence? And I'm sure that as I shared the topic, things came to mind. Uh, number one, Psalm 100, verse 2. Classic verses. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. That's why Paul said somewhere, you know, just worshiping and singing and 
sing in the Spirit. You know, this is, these are things we need to do during the day to abide in God's presence. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Praise, thanksgiving, and singing causes us to enter and helps us to abide in the presence of the Lord. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27. Romans chapter 8, 26 through 27. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. The Spirit himself, as we pray through us, he makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He searches the heart and mind of the Spirit and knows and makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When we pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is praying through us. And when the Holy Spirit is praying through us, the presence of the Lord is made evident. The presence of the Lord is made evident. I saw one time as I was praying in the Holy Spirit and really enjoying the presence of the Lord, it was almost as if as I was praying in the Holy Spirit, it was just oil coming forth and covering me. Just oil coming forth, the anointing. You know, that, that's a spiritual thing, but it's, there's just a sense of that anointing that comes when we do that. And in Jude 20 and 21, Jude 20 and 21, and, and the Lord really opened this up to me recently, it says, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And we know this verse, and we've heard it many times. And people say, we need to pray in the Holy Spirit because it builds you up in your most holy faith. And we miss the last part, which says, keep yourself in the love of God. It not only builds you up in the Holy Spirit, it also helps keep you centered in the love of God. It helps you to abide in the Spirit. It helps you to abide in the Spirit. That's a beautiful verse. Keeping yourself in, as if it were some kind of... uh, covering in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Praying in the Holy Spirit not only builds us up, it helps keep us centered in the love of God. It, it, it keeps us, helps keep us centered in God's presence. I believe that's why Paul consistently talked about praying always. He knew that secret. Praying always, that, that connection, that constant connection. Ephesians 6.19, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints, praying always. And uh, I wrote another booklet, and some of you are familiar with it, called Walking in a Spirit of Prayer. I have a few of those. Don't jump up. And if you like them, you see a use for them, let me know. We just want to get them out. Okay, but walking in a spirit of prayer. And as we do this, we abide in God's presence. Uh, Brother Lawrence, in his little book, and actually the long uh, title is The Practice of the Presence of God, The Best Rule for a Holy Life. And I think the long version of the title is really pregnant with meaning. You know, practicing the presence of God is part, but the best rule of a holy life said this, that we should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him. By continually conversing with him. That it was a shameful thing to quit his conversation, to think of trivials and fooleries. That's old English. 
It was a shameful thing to quit that conversation, to think of trivialities and fooleries. Continuous prayer helps to cause us to abide in the presence of the Lord. Okay, what are the results of abiding in his presence? This is very, very clear and powerful. John 15, 7 through 8. John 15, 7 through 8. It seems like the Lord always links abiding in him with abiding in his word. There's so much of that. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Answered prayer is a result of abiding in God's presence and abiding in his word. But what does that mean? We know clearly that this prayer promise is not a blank check. Uh, Here are two conditions. I'm sure there's more, but here's two clear conditions for answered prayer. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. So we need to pray according to his will and according to his heart. What is clearly seen here is that abiding in God's presence puts us in a place where God can speak to us and guide our prayers according to his will. As we wait upon him in his presence, he quickens to us how to pray. And many times it's not normally how you would pray. You will find yourself praying things you would not normally pray. Actually, maybe even almost in contradiction, uh, as it were, because you're praying according to the will of God. James 4, 2 through 3, you do not have, James 4, 2 through 3, you do not have because you do not ask. That's one that I really believe in. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know, a lot of these abuses to prayer promises have to do with that. I don't know, Jim, if you remember, we were at a Robert Tilton meeting they had here in Tulsa, and uh, he spent the whole time talking about his white Lincoln Continental. And I'm I'm not, uh, what's the word? I'm just telling you what happened. I mean, white Lincoln Continental. Even got into the house. Oh, yeah, when he, gets a, when he gets a flat tire, they have a little white coat that you put on. He's going on, you know. And somebody that was hosting, he's going to get one too. On and on and on. And, and then all these abuses of these promises. And, you know, basically just to feed your pleasures, which is uh, contrary to that verse. And I was sitting on stage. Somehow I got on stage. I think it was because I hung around with Chuck and Chuck got invited on stage. Chuck always used to say, come on, Gordon. And so I'd be up there. I'm sitting on stage with Chuck. He's right there in front of us. And Chuck's sitting there with his Bible. And he's going, he's going. I said, Chuck, settle down, settle down, settle down. I am serious. Right, right up on stage. You know, and he goes, blah, 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 blah. I said, yeah, Chuck, I know, I know, I agree with you. But she just said, we're on stage. But that's the kind of thing. You know, that's pervy, that, that has permeated this whole issue of using these kinds of verses. But it clearly says that you cannot pray that you might spend it on your own pleasures. If you're abiding in his presence, his interests become your interests. 
And you are, and I put down here, you will not, but actually, it's more like you're not as prone <laughs> to pray self-serving prayers. And we have to be very careful with that. Okay, self-serving prayers. Okay, let's go back to John 15, verses 1 through 6. John 15, 1 through 6. This is probably the most classic of the verses. I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. That sounds painful. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There's something just very natural about this, that fruitfulness comes from abiding in the presence of the Lord. And I think we're talking about two kinds of fruitfulness. One has to do with outward fruit and results of ministry in our lives, and the other has to do with inward fruit, which is in Galatians 5, talks about the fruits of righteousness. And both of these things are working. That as we're in the presence of the Lord, we're more gentle, kind, you know, all these different faithful, and also uh, ministry manifests in a natural form. I remember an old prophet that I used to travel with. He said, really, the responsibility of a Christian is just to be a cold glass of water that God can place wherever he wants it to place so that people can drink out of that glass. You know, just to abide in the presence of the Lord and to be available wherever he puts you and to be obedient to whatever he shares uh, with you to do. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I remember one teaching, I can't remember who did it. They were up here and they were talking about, you know, abiding in the Lord and fruit started popping out, you know. And the difference between abiding in the flesh and fruit came out and people eat it and it's a sour apple. (laughs) It's a sour apple, you know. Sweet fruit comes from abiding in the Lord, not from human strife. Not bad. Abiding in the Lord causes you to bear much fruit. Fruitfulness is a natural process that comes from abiding in His presence. And that actually says, without Him we can do nothing. Okay, in the last part of John 8, 31-32, where it talks about, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, it goes on and says this, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Freedom is a large result of abiding in God's presence. True freedom comes from abiding in God's presence. John 17, 17 through 18 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You abide in the word of God. You abide in his presence. You abide in his presence. You will experience freedom. Freedom mentally, emotionally. Uh, I actually put down in here somewhere where there's a a deliverance that occurs that you might be free. I mean, it can be actual freedom or it can be the breaking of bondages and things that grip you to cause you to be free. The presence of the Lord releases you and causes uh, freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom in the presence of the Lord. Bondages are broken and We've seen this just ourselves as we've been in worship and prayer. And you've experienced this. And all of a sudden, 
a weeping comes on you. Something happens. Something touches you. Something's broken. And you don't even understand it. And you didn't even really ask for it. You were just, you were just available. And the presence of the Lord comes in and touches that area. And healing occurs. I, I've seen where I've prayed and prayed and not seen the answer to prayer. And then when I least expected it, at a time where the presence of the Lord came in, the prayer was answered. And God moves. And God moves. Uh, what are some other results? These are good. Of abiding in his presence. Psalm 16, verse 11, 17, 1. Just some short verses. You will show me the path of life. In your presence, actually this is the first verse I got, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures every more. True joy and true, and true pleasure is found in the presence of the Lord. You know, it said the flesh and the soul has an insatiable appetite. You could give it everything the world has to offer, and we see that in Solomon, and you're not satisfied. The presence of the Lord comes in, and you're satisfied. You know, that it, it just comes and, and this is what I've been waiting for. I mean, it's an interesting thing. When that happens to me, the presence of the Lord comes in. I start to weep and I go, Lord, and I don't know what stupid question. Lord, where were you? It's like, I was here all the time. Where were you? You know, <laughs> the presence of the Lord. Here's another good one. Psalm 73, 28. Psalm 73, 28. As for me... The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. The nearness of God is your good, and He is your refuge. In Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. The nearness of God is my good. Exodus 33, verse 13 through 14. Exodus 33, 13 through 14. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Your presence, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. The presence of the Lord gives rest. True rest is only found in the Lord. I remember when I first came to the Lord out of the drug culture and occultism, and you know there was massive deliverance that occurred when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, started exercising the gifts of the Spirit. But still, there was a lot of stuff. I didn't get much sleep. I'd actually uh, get woken in the night with, you know, demonic activity or oppression or dreams or whatever, and uh, just walk and pray and just try to abide in the presence of the Lord. And I, I remember specifically that the Lord showed me that there is a greater rest in the presence of the Lord than there is even in sleep, that he would refresh me. I'd be ready for the next day, get a couple hours sleep, just walking and praying, just to maintain my equilibrium. And God brought rest. And the next one also, refreshing. Acts 3, 19 through 20. Acts 3, 19 through 20. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come 
from the presence of the Lord. Rest and refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Peace comes from keeping your mind centered on the Lord. In John 14, 27 through 28, John 14, 27 through 28, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27 through 28. Philippians 4, 7, it says, The peace of God surpasses all understanding. He gives us His peace. A peace that passes all understanding. But it's only available in His presence. And as we enter into His presence, the peace of God comes. The rest of God comes. The refreshing of God comes. It behooves us to abide in the presence of the Lord. It is the secret of successful and fruitful ministry. It is uh, the secret for many of us who've been through uh, turbulent times before we came to the Lord. It is the source of sanity. It is the source of reality. Peace, refreshing, and rest. God's peace is available to us. It's the peace that passes all understanding. It comes from abiding in His presence. Psalm 31, verse 20. Psalm 31, verse 20. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. God's presence is a place of refuge and safety. There is a protection in the presence of the Lord. Let me summarize this. Number one, how can we abide in God's presence? By abiding in His Word. That's probably the largest one that clearly comes out. By abiding in His love, which is His presence, through obedience. Obedience is a key. I was praying and meditating on it this morning, and I felt like the Lord said that, uh, you know, as we are obedient to God, and as we, even in small things, as we're obedient to God, we are strengthened and more and more abide in His presence. And as we are disobedient to God, we are weakened and more and more move outside His presence. Obedience uh, to God. Cleanness, repentance, singing, giving thanks, praying in the Holy Spirit, and praying continuously, communing with God. Number two, what are the results of abiding in His presence? Fruitfulness, joy, peace, rest, pleasure, refreshing, freedom, wisdom, answered prayer, and protection. Praise God. Praise God. In closing, I just want to quickly read Psalm 91. It's an area where I go to hide when things get really hard. And it's an area that I probably have given to some of you just to read. But it's so powerful. But what it basically is, the whole psalm relates to the benefits of dwelling in his presence. Directly relates to it. It starts by saying, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge, my fortress, my God, and Him I trust. Surely He will deliver you 
from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, the presence of God, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And, and especially if you're moving in ministry in different venues, and I know Terry and Mary can say that. I heard Terry's story about walking through villages with, with uh, you know, what was it, Hamas, Hezbollah, terrorists, you know, and they'd invite them over for tea and want to talk to them. I thought, right, okay. But, you know, you, you walk in those places, but you walk in the presence of the Lord. And I am sure that you sensed, you know, they liked you, and there was something about you. And I don't think it was your wonderful personality, which is true, but, you know, the, there's something about the presence of the Lord. I've had people say, what is that? I said, it's the Lord. It's not me, it's the Lord, you know. But you walk in the pestilence of darkness, the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Verse 6, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. And, you know, again, I think about Gemini on these trains back in the days when people were getting mugged, you know, thousands of dollars in a briefcase and stuff. And, and it was like nobody saw us. And I, one time we went down to uh, Veronish, and the guy said, whatever you do, don't speak English. We don't want them to know you're American. You know, I'm going, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm glad Jim's here. And Jim's going, what am I doing? I'm glad Gordon's here. <laughs> but God keeps you because what? You're centered in his will. And actually, the two go together, right? You're centered in his will, and therefore you're centered in his presence because his will and his presence are, co- are co-joined. A, th- a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. It will not come near you. Your eyes will look and see the reward of the wicked because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. The presence of of the Lord. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels. And, and I know that's occurred in my life. His angels in situations that were amazing to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. I remember one time I came in by train from Ukraine. I was by myself, which, which happens quite a bit. I was the sickest I have ever been. I remember when I was in Korea in the army, I had upper respiratory infection and sick, but this was the sickest I'd ever been. I, had, I was running an incredibly high fever, and uh, I, I couldn't breathe unless I propped myself up. I was going to Moscow. For some reason, it worked out that I had a five-day layover in Moscow at this mission center with some fine people, good place to sleep, place to make food, and, uh, but I was so sick with upper respiratory and I started taking Bactrim DS, and it was upsetting my stomach. And the guy picked me up at the airport. I sat in the car like a zombie. I got to his office. I was sitting in the chair, and I almost passed out in the chair in Moscow. It's a terrible place to be like that, you know. They put me in my room. I fell back on the bed, and I did. I passed out. I slept for something like 24 hours. And I woke up perched, and I had some water. I had different things with me, drank some water. I think I you know, ate some Triscuits, passed out again. Woke up again and uh, went into the kitchen. I was kind of stumbled into the kitchen. There was an old lady cooking borscht, you know, and she offered me a bowl. <sighs> She's going to get a great reward. <laughs> you know, I hate that bowl of borscht. It was like medicine, you know. I went back, again, passed out. I knew what I was supposed to do. I was drinking a lot of water whenever I was awake. But to make a long story short, that fever broke. I was totally weak. There was a grocery store. I went to the grocery store. I got protein and greens. Just started eating like crazy. 
and taking that medicine like crazy. And in five days, I was supposed to fly down to visit Dory. That was the trip down to visit Dory. No, sorry, that was the trip to visit uh, the Ackers. That time I went down into Central Asia. And uh, I, had, I had covered I said, Lord, if this doesn't pass in three, four days, I'm changing my ticket, I'm going home. And I got on that plane and I left. But you know, it's just God holding you in his presence, God keeping you. I believe angels having charge over you. They will bear you up. You will tread upon the lion, the cobra, the young lion, the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. And then in verse 14, it shifts. The tense shifts. In one place, David is speaking about this reality of the Lord. In the next, the Lord speaks back to David. Because he set his love upon me, there will furfor, I will deliver him. Because he has decided and made a conscious effort to abide and dwell in me, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he's known my name. He shall call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen? Powerful. Powerful. Just for abiding in the presence of the Lord, abiding in his word, abiding in his love, being in consistent prayer, it's the first thing on your mind in the morning, the last thing on your mind at night. It's the constant remembrance during the day. Believe me, it's a necessity. It's not a luxury. And as these days go on, as things get darker, more so yet, more so yet. Let this be a year of breaking strongholds and removing obstacles to receiving God's power and presence. Amen? And cooperate. Covenant with God, covenant with yourself. Lord, I am going to cooperate in this process. No matter how painful it is, no matter, how, what, what, no matter what kind of grip this thing has on me, that I am committed to obedience and I am committed to yield to you in these areas. And God will give you his presence. And once you start really abiding in his presence, you will relish it so much that you cannot do without it. You cannot do without it. Amen. Lord, we just ask you to bless this word. We ask you to move upon us in a special way. Do not let this just be words, but let it be reality and truth. Let it touch deep places in our hearts. Remember Oswald Chambers talks about deep speaking on to deep. Oh God, let it be so in this case. And let it reside in such a place that it cannot depart. But it would just have its work. And it would change us. And it would make us into the people who would seek you and seek to abide in your presence at all times, at all times, and receive all you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.